I'm John. And I'm David. And you're listening to the Autocratic Podcast. This week, we're going to be covering the F1 race. Yeah, the uh, 2021 Hungarian Grand Prix. Yep. One of the things that we will be doing is posting a schedule on our Instagram. Our plan is to do different topic categories for different weeks of a month. So we'll, we'll put a post up on our uh, Instagram when this goes live, and we're going to be shooting for Wednesday uploads every week. Yep. And we'll we'll stick to that topic schedule. So some people might not be interested in some of the other topics, but if they are interested in a certain one, they'll know when to tune in. Exactly. So that's our plan for now. As we get into first semester, our scheduling might change. We might be doing every two weeks. It just kind of depends on how busy we get. But we're still going to follow the uh, schedule that we set out in terms of relativity to the previous week, or the right. previous episode, rather. Right. So it'll be, if it's not each like first, second, third, fourth week of the month, it will be just in order. So this week, we're going to talk about, we're going to have an F1 race recap. Yeah, the 2021 Hungarian Grand Prix. Right. Which was quite a race for anybody who didn't see it or doesn't follow Formula One. That that was really a, a quite a uh, on the edge of your seat race for, you know, a great, a, a, you're really on the edge of your seat for a large portion of the race. Honestly, most of it. Yeah, which is, I, I hate to say it, but somewhat uncommon for formula one races there's usually a bit of drama in the beginning and sometimes some drama in the middle but other than that the middle is usually just sort of filler you know but right. this, this was really action the whole way through so you and i watched this live people were uh losing their minds yeah but we, we watched it in a group setting uh obviously following all all required protocol right all, and, all local guidelines yeah in but, terms uh, of uh, covid but yeah it, it was wild. Yeah, it and was. So at the beginning, right right off the bat, it was raining. So it was it was raining at the Hungaro rain. So it was... It know, was wet. The track was wet. Everybody had it, you know, it was an, Everybody started on the intermediate tires. But it yeah. was pretty bad. It was yeah. kind of interesting that more people weren't just on wet. Like just No, the wet compound tire really only is effective when there's really standing water on the track and there wasn't quite That's standing true. water on the track. It so. was raining though. I mean, you could yeah, see, but the intermediate tire made sense. Right. So right off the bat, the race started and turn one was, the yeah. f- was like one of the biggest crashes probably. Yeah. Well, so what happened was Valtteri Bottas misjudged the, well, he didn't misjudge the breaking point. He just tried to late break into turn one and ended up in the back of Lando Norris, which, uh, as you can imagine, in turn one, everybody's still uh, quite close together, so it, it caused quite a big pileup. And it's poor conditions too. Yeah. Track was definitely wet there. Yes, it was very. It was, it was a very greasy spot on the track. Right. And then further back in the pack, so to speak, Lance Stroll almost went to the back of Charles Leclerc, I believe it was, and he cut a corner, but still ended up going into the side of Charles Leclerc. So you know, overall, quite a big pileup and uh, obviously caused a red flag. But I think what was interesting was that Verstappen obviously suffered quite heavy damage. So just like last year's Hungarian Grand Prix, when Max Verstappen put his car into the wall on the uh, lap to the grid, and the Red Bull mechanics were able to fix the car in 20-some-odd minutes, 
which was incredible. Again, at the Hungaro ring, uh, the Red Bull mechanics really shined and uh, were able to get uh, Max back on the track before the red flag period ended, which was quite incredible. I mean, you saw the damage he suffered. It, it was pretty severe. It was an interesting past job, but it worked. Yeah, I mean, his side pod was completely destroyed. Right. The track was covered in carnage from yeah. from that first uh i mean there was how many hundred thousands of dollars worth of just carbon fiber debris oh God. you could see it from the aerial shot and so there was enough on there that it was and it's just carbon fiber debris not anything else not just large, hundreds of right. thousands of dollars in carbon fiber debris and i believe that the impact was so strong that max is actually going to need a new power unit for the next race which will incur a penalty i believe so that's uh that's unfortunate, but I find it funny how Max had these two incidences at uh, the Hungaro ring, and the Red Bull mechanics really shined in both of them. You didn't watch the 2020 Hungarian Grand Prix with me, but uh, still, amazing job from the Red Bull mechanics. At this race, Red Bull also set a new fastest pit stop of the year, which was uh, 1.88 seconds. Right. The, the Red Bull mechanics really... You know, I, I know I keep talking about Red Bull, but uh, the mechanics there really do impress me. It, they've pulled off some pretty serious feats. Well, Red Bull is really, it, more than just F1, it seems like the Red Bull teams are very motorsports focused, yeah. just yeah. in general. But it wasn't entirely a great day for Red Bull because uh, Hamilton and Mercedes did retake the lead of both championships, which uh, wasn't helped by the fact that Vettel was disqualified. So but. coming out of the... Red flag. <laughs> this was great. This is this was great. So they they came out what they made it like a lap or two, right? After the oh, so after, after the red the flag when they had the uh, the the second formation lap, right? Uh, that that was so it's a formation lap, so there's right. no contact between the drivers and the teams. So um, you know, obviously Hamilton out front has no clue what everybody else behind him is doing, and. Um, I guess the the preferred um, tire for the conditions became the slick tires instead of the intermediate tires. Right, the track cleared up, pre it dried up pretty quickly. It did, but that that's pretty common though. But uh, you know, like I said, Hamilton's out front; he has no clue what's going on behind him. And I think it was Ocon was the first one to uh, to, so to speak, pull the trigger on the uh, on the slicks, and everybody just followed him into the pits. It's yeah. interesting because the uh, commentators, uh, David Croft and Nico Rosberg, believe it or not, all thought that the preferred tire for the restart was going to be the intermediate. But it seemed once they st kind of started looking at the track more, yeah, it, 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 it was made a lot, sense it, for the slicks. It, it became a lot more dry. But it was pretty funny because Hamilton's the only one start was on the starting grid. Yeah, he literally the only one on the grid. But you know, after that first what, one or two laps, he had to come in. Yeah, the first so, second after. Second, so it was the right? first lap after the restart. Right. Yeah. Right. After that restart, he had to come in to he had yeah. to, he had to pit. So he started that alone, and then he ended up all the way in the back. Yeah. And then he regained all of those all of all the places yeah. up to whatever fourth. Uh, third. 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 And that well, which became second after Vettel was disqualified, right? Which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. So there's a lot of you know tire rubbing. There's a lot of wheel to wheel racing. It almost seems, especially with all of the penalties incurred at Silverstone, it almost seemed as though uh, the FIA was sort of trying to get rid of wheel to wheel racing. the The amount of penalties that race was just astronomical. We got a lot of wheel to wheel racing at this race, which was, uh, from a fan standpoint, very exciting. 
Yeah, it was a very interesting race. I mean, throughout the whole thing, especially because you know, Hamilton was way in the back. Yeah. For, for, you know, right from the beginning after that, after having a pit. And essentially, he was fighting his way all the way up, up yeah. right until the end. He, he was and, you making some pretty the first, impressive... That's not the first time he's done something like that. It was, I believe, Monza 2020 when there was another track hazard. I don't remember if it was a safety car or just a yellow flag. And the pit lane entrance was closed. Hamilton actually went in the pits anyways and incurred a 10-second stop-go penalty, which is about a 30-second penalty because you have to come in and you can't do any work to the car. So he can't, couldn't get new tires or anything. So he had to come in, serve his 10-second penalty, and then go back out on track. That put him dead last because uh, I, I think it was a safety car condition. So the, the whole pack was piled up. So he, w- he came out dead last. And I don't believe he made a podium finish that race, but he made up a lot of places. I believe he came in fourth or fifth. And again, a French driver won that race. It's Pierre Gasly. That was the first French win in over 20 years, I believe. And again, when we have another incidence where Hamilton's up the back, we have another French win. I find that kind of interesting. I think it's kind of funny. He made a lot of, he overtook a lot of people. But I think that's one of the things that made the race so interesting. Obviously, other than the wet conditions and kind of the amount of wheel-to-wheel racing him actually like actively fighting his way back to the podium spots was uh, very interesting i mean the entire race was like on the edge of your seat to see if he was going to overtake the next person and a uh, a quick bit of clarification hamilton finished the 2020 italian grand prix in seventh i I thought he made up a few more positions than that but still to come from the back of the pack 2020 right to come from the back of the pack all the way up to seventh is pretty impressive right out of the gate here i what was it four or five six Six, six cars retired immediately. Six. Actually, I take that back. Five cars retired imme- immediately, and then Nikita Mazepin retired later to be a sixth to retire. There was the pit collision. Yeah, that was Nikita Mazepin. Right. That was a, a, a poor release. Well, it was an unsafe release from Alfa right. Romeo. Right. It was pretty bad. Yeah, I, that's another question. So. I mean, he almost sent it right into the back. Of, yeah, of, but uh, that, that's another... So, these unsafe releases, obviously something needs to be done about them, but... Is it right for the driver to be penalized, or should the team be penalized? That, that's a question for another time. Well, at the because same it's the time, team that releases him. So in the cockpit, can't, you people, can't see. You can't see who, right. Yeah. So you're relying on your team to uh, give you the signal to leave. So then, should the team be penalized either monetarily or in terms of points? I would say it should be a fine. Yeah. Because it's safety. Yeah. At the same time, it's somebody on the crew. It's not. It's the pit team. Yes. The driver can't do anything Absolutely. about that. He has no idea. So absolutely, I don't know why you would penalize a driver. I would understand like finding the team. Yep, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting the way penalties work with the FIA. A lot of them are driver focused, which makes sense. Formula One, at the outset, may not seem like much of a team sport, but it really is a, a huge team sport. And a lot of the penalties are a combination of driver and team incurred, but the driver suffers. There's an argument to be made on both sides, whether the team should be penalized or the driver should be penalized. I, I think that I think the FIA penalty system is a topic for another day because it really is a lot of it makes sense and a lot of it doesn't make sense. So I think it would be an interesting discussion to have another time. Yeah, it's kind of strange. I, I mean, the problem is that when you make your regulations, you have to make a lot of them for specific situations or they have to be like an umbrella. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things where I think they probably should make more than umbrella because it doesn't make any sense to penalize the driver because there was nothing they could do yeah it's not it wasn't a driver error exactly so 
I mean, driver error, the driver should be penalized. But when it's something like, um, you know, unsafe release or car that's out of technical compliance, now that that's sort of dealing with Vettel's disqualification, which is a, a different story entirely. That was low fuel load, right? Yeah, it was a low fuel load. You want to explain to people what that is for people who don't know? Yeah, so there's a rule in the FIA's uh, handbook. I, I couldn't tell you the, the number, but... Um, you can you can Google just low fuel load and it'll probably pop up yeah. if you really want to know in more detail, but... Essentially, all it is is that all the cars must be able to provide a one liter fuel sample at the end of the race. And this is to prevent light fueling because it... Fuels, fuel is weight. And yeah, fuel is weight. Everything. So nowadays, there's no more mid, mid-race refueling. Right. So the FIA really does have to rule that with an iron fist, so to speak. Otherwise, you know, when you're dealing with fuel, you really don't want to be screwing around. You don't want a car to run out of fuel in the middle of the track. That causes a huge hazard. Granted, you also don't want to overfuel it because then you're gonna the car is gonna be way slower than everybody else, and you've got a heavy fuel load, which could cause other problems. This rule essentially states that the car must be able to provide a one liter fuel sample at the end of the race, and uh, Sebastian Vettel's car was unable to do so. He, uh, they were only able to draw, I believe, zero point three of a liter of fuel. So as much as I hate to see him disqualified, according to the rule book, that is the the correct course of action. Which again, you know. Sebastian didn't fuel the car, so should he be disqualified or should the team incur a fine? This is one of the things that, you know, people that either aren't interested in automotive or racing, anything like that, they might think, oh, it's just racing. There's a lot, there's there's a a lot lot of technicalities and finesse that goes into F1 with difference in, you can't run the car to its full potential all the time. No. Because it won't qualify. You have to deal with the the low fuel load penalty. You know, you can you only have so many tires. Yep. It, you only have so many parts that you and can use. Also, you have penalties you incur. It's it's very technical. It's interesting the impact that COVID has had on tires in specific. Well, it, it, COVID had a huge impact on F1, but the the I I think at least one of the most profound things to come of it is the tires. The teams used to have not quite a free choice of tires, but they could order what compounds they wanted from Pirelli. You know, they they didn't have to necessarily order five sets of softs for each race they if they wanted to try a different strategy they could order four sets or and so on but now with covid and pirelli's supply chain everybody gets the same tire allocation and i believe it's five sets of softs or maybe it's seven sets of softs i don't remember uh two sets of hards and i think three sets of mediums and i think two sets of intermediates and two sets of wets but those hardly get used right i think that's actually quite a profound impact that covid has had on formula one it's kind of strange to think like they have all these tires. At the same time, tires don't last. Yeah, so the tires are designed not to last. So in Formula One, a set of tires is good for around a hundred kilometers, which is sixty-two miles. So a hundred kilometers—that's only about twelve laps. And you know, a drivers like Checo, Sergio Perez—he's great at extending. He can really watch after his tires. It's really incredible to see what the, for lack of a better term, the magic he can do with tires. It's interesting because there's more factors than just wearing out your tires. Oh, absolutely. There can be debris. Yep. You get a crash. Obviously, it's maybe not the biggest of your issues, but there goes a set of tires. Yeah. Well, you could just you you lose the heat in them. Right. So people don't realize how hot these uh, these tires are designed to run. The tires are designed to run right around 100 degrees Celsius or 212 Fahrenheit. When they come out of the blankets, they're at uh, about 80 degrees Celsius. So that that's hot. That that that's painful to touch. They're stickies. Yeah, they're, right. they're stick. Yeah, 
they're, they're slick tires that need as much grip as they can get. Right. What a lot of people may notice is that they're stickies. The only tires that have any groove to them are the wet tires or rain tires. Everything else is a slick. You know, it's not like a normal car tire. It's a, it's like a drag tire. What you'd think yeah. is just a flat, sticky piece of rubber. Exactly. So, of course, F1, the cars are low to the ground. They're wide. They're long. And they have a lot of traction. Yeah. But and they're a very lot of downforce. A too. lot of downforce. Well, the down the, your downforce is, I mean, for a light car, yeah. The downforce is what's really giving you, yeah, a lot of your stability. But they're stable. It's like driving a, a go kart. Yeah. I mean, actually, a go kart is probably a little bit more st- stable, but it's not going as fast. I mean, some of these, some of the straightaways, you're you know pushing almost two hundred. Well, just it's amazing. In, just in this race yeah. alone. I, I find it amazing how, you know, DRS, the drag reduction system, which is the, for those of you who don't know, that's the little flap at the wing that opens up. And there are, there are specific zones on the track where you can use it, and it gives you more straight line speed. It gives you about an extra 20 kilometers an hour. Yeah, you it gives can, you a lot. Uh, on a straightaway, you can gain up to a tenth of a second, and that's just a flap opening on the car. F1 cars are insanely engineered, oh, far absolutely. more than any production car. F1 is the most over-engineered thing that I've ever seen in my life. And I think that's why I love it so much. The the amount of downforce. Yeah. And these cars make oh, is incredible. Ridiculous. And so you lessen a little bit of that just when you don't need that cornering yeah. or the, you know, the handling. Yeah. And it makes a huge difference. Massive. And they're already insanely fast. Yeah. Although next year they're going to be slowed down a bit. And that's in the FIA's uh, pursuit of safety, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. We'll put it up on the on our Instagram, but the 2022 F1 car versus the 2021 F1 car, they look night and day different. They, you know, the 21 and the 20 car look more or less the same, but the 21 and the 22 car look completely different. We'll we'll put a couple of side by side shots up on our Instagram so you can see what we're talking about. So the rear wing and the front wing, they're decreasing arrow is what they're doing. Interestingly enough. Yeah, well, that, that's what the that's what the FIA said they were going to do, and that's what they've done. One of the biggest changes before that, I would say, in terms of like what people that don't, you know, don't know what to look for, was probably the addition of halos. Yeah, absolutely. Years ago. Well, it's 2018. So the halos are, it's a fancy crash bar. Yeah, well, the halo is really an incredible piece of technology. Right. It, it saved Roman Grosjean's life in 2020. There's no doubt about that, that without the halo, he would have died that day. Right. And so that's one of the things you're laying down in this car essentially. Yeah. You're not sitting up like a normal car. You're you might as well be laying on your back. Yeah. Your head is the only thing really that's above. But before the halos, it was the front of the car, the the you hood, had a couple the antennas hood section, in front of you, right? You had. And then your face. Yeah. There was nothing stopping. So if you had something fail and you came up and, you know, wedged under a car, your face is what's going to stop yep. there. So there's nothing stopping you from just getting decapitated. Yep. You, well, that, if you flip over. That's sadly what happened to uh, Jules Bianchi. Right. Is, you know, when uh, when his car crashed into a tractor on the side of the, the track in a, uh, I believe that was a safety car condition. And his death is really what fueled the integration of the halo. Right. Uh, obviously, there, there was the halo was actually in the works back then. That was 2015, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I, rem- I think I remember that. And the halo was was already being talked about and starting to be designed, but his death really accelerated the process. And just three years later, it was implemented. I think anybody that looks at the old designs of the cars, it, it seems weird to not have anything above the driver's head. 
There yeah. was nothing. There, there, it, it's the driver's head, and then it's the intake. That's what's there. And the intake is not structural. No. It's not enough to, if the car flips over, your head is going to just... Actually, it will, it, it will save you, believe it or not. Because cars have flipped over without the halos, and the drivers have been fine. Right, but, but that's, not that's always. More to the do... halo is, gonna, is yes. more of a guarantee than an that, intake. The, the in, really, what the intake did was just prop the car up. Yeah, so you have to be in the right condition yeah. for that. The halo is actually surrounding. Yeah. So the halo can withstand 12 tons from above for five seconds without any failure. And it's made out of titanium with the main point to protect the driver's head. Yep. It's connected to the vehicle's frame in three points. Yep. And it looks like a halo. It's a, it's a We'll post pictures of it, but it, it's just a big curved bar, essentially, yep. because there's no windshield. Our F1 race recap episodes are going to be a little shorter not yep. by much but they're going to be around 20 25 minutes yep or so we are going to be doing probably a three to four part series of kind of taking a deep dive into the technical aspects of f1 kind of focusing on some things that some people won't know about as even if you do follow f1 a lot of people don't realize the unbelievable amount that goes into even just building a car red bull actually has a very interesting youtube video and it's about the process of machining a single bolt we'll post the link to that uh, video on our social media either after this episode goes live or after the first part of our f1 series goes live we'll be doing a three to four part series we'll post well you know we'll arrange ahead of time what what will be the topic for each video and we'll, we'll release that so people will know what's coming up and we will release some relevant videos, links and things yeah. like that for people if they want to dive even deeper, it, yeah. right? Because the videos and things are going to help you more than just, you know, listening. There's a lot that goes into it. There's an incredible amount that goes into F1. It's, you know, not called the pinnacle of motorsport for no reason. But, I mean, an F1 car is how many million? I think it costs around 17, 15 to $17 million to build an F1 car. Each team has two cars. That's two, right? Yeah. Each team has two cars. Give or take enough spare parts for another six cars, three cars for each driver. Right. They, they don't actually have three cars sitting there, but they've got the spare parts to build three cars. So this is one of the things we'll talk about is the way the, that the, you have limited number of parts you're allowed to do for certain things. Yep. And what you're allowed and the to, budget you're cap, wearing, too. right. What you can wear out, what you can replace for you know, seasons or races or yeah what have you we'll cover all of that i think we are going to record those and i'm not sure how soon we're going to do those it's probably going to be in the fall that we yeah. actually you know because we need to do a, a lot of arranging we have to do a lot of research and make sure all of it's arranged in a a, a good way for people that might have no exposure to f1 that exactly, would be interested yeah. in it would would uh, not be too overwhelmed with because it is it's a lot of information yeah. And so we want to try and break it down for people and that might think it's interesting, but not really have any of the background of any of the very technical aspects to know what's going on. So we'll try to summarize it. Um, we're not going to dumb it down. Obviously, no, absolutely not. But, but uh, we are going to make try it more to... digestible. You know, F1 has been around for 71 years now. You know, it's a far cry now from what it was. Right. Uh, and it's interesting that, some of these uh, early race winners are still alive today. You know, Jackie Stewart, he's not so much of an early race winner. He was in the 70s, but still, I mean, in his lifetime, he's a three-time world champion. How much the cars have changed since when he was champion to now. 
Even and the he, past 10 years. And he's still, Jackie Stewart is still heavily involved in the sport, too. Right. But I think someone that we're also going to focus on a lot is Bernie Ecclestone. He still has a profound impact on the sport. Right. So one of our, fir- the I think the first episode of our series will dive into the history. And then, you know, later in that, we will talk about the origins of where a lot of the major uh, FIA changes came from, you know, the halo, yeah. all those things, yeah. what, where those originated. So kind of the history of F1 and the important, you know, milestones that people will want to know. And that's where we're going to start with the series and, and go from there. Yep. I think people will enjoy that. It is, uh, it, it's overwhelming. Definitely F1. Like you can understand it like barely, like it, you can know a lot about it and you still barely understand it. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's it, ridiculous. It, it, just when you think you've, you've, got to the end of it there's there's more. more yeah it's an iceberg yeah so all right well i think that's gonna wrap it up for today yep uh, we are going to post this week what our weekly schedule is going to be for each week of the month or number of weeks you know consecutively if we decide to do every other week whatever it depends we're both in college still yeah so it, but and especially uh, going into the new semester, our schedules may be a little hectic in the beginning. But, right. Uh, we're going to try and pre-record some things that we will still be posting. Yep. But we're going to probably go through about a month between where we pre-record and where we start recording again. But we'll have continuous releases. So any episode suggestions, leave those on our Instagram. Our Instagram is the autocorrect podcast, all one word. That'll be where we post any pictures, uh, interesting information, you know, any what our schedule is going to be in upcoming episodes, you know, where we'll take episode suggestions. If anybody wants to reach out, has any relevant experience for any of our topics that they would be interested in being a guest as well, DM us on there. So that's going to be it for this week. Yep. Thank you guys for listening. See you guys next week.